Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh, Wendy, summer's almost here. It is, even though it didn't quite feel like it yesterday when we were playing outdoors. Yep, in the <laughs> in the beer garden, it was a little soggy, soggy and cool. In the, in the cold damp of the beer garden, it did not feel like summer. But Memorial Day weekend is just in a few days. Yep, and then it's on. Summer is on. Yes. So if you guys uh, aren't in the United States, Memorial Day weekend is our traditional star. Summer Memorial Day is on a Monday, so everybody gets a three-day weekend. That used to be the weekend I partied hardest all year. And it would usually start with a Friday afternoon performance at Bratfest here in Madison. Ah, yes. And uh, then I would survive until Monday sometime in the evening before passing out. Yeah. And Broadfest is a fun event here in Madison where uh, a free fun event. Right. That's a fundraiser for local charities here in Madison. And we will be performing at it this year once again, but this time not on Friday. No, this time we'll be performing on Sunday. And also I don't party as hard on Memorial Day weekend as I used to. I, I keep it under wraps. Why, Mike? Why? So that I can survive through the rest of the summer. Okay, that's a good reason. So I can make it to Labor Day is the, is, is uh, what I'm trying to do. Pace yourself. Right. I see. So this year we'll be at Broadfest uh, this Sunday if you guys are around Madison. If you guys have not had a chance to get your Wonders of the Invisible World t-shirt, this is a perfect time to stop by Broadfest and get that t-shirt. And also for anybody that is interested in checking out the Wonders of the Invisible World album, you can find that sunspotuniverse.com slash album. Sunspotuniverse.com slash album is where you can pick up. And those are all songs based on the songs we've done at the podcast. Yes, indeed. So we're going to be playing two o'clock on Broadfest, opening up for Saving Abel and Blackstone Cherry. Yeehaw. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. A little rock and roll in uh, Madison. And also, yeah. there's plenty of veggie brats, too. I was going to say, we got to contribute to the world record brat right. consuming, right? Yeah, it's usually like, so bratwurst. Uh, they usually set the record every year of the amount of bratwurst consumed in one weekend. Yeah, and that does include the veggie brats. It, it includes all forms of bratwurst, mm-hmm. so something for everyone. Yes, that's right. So you can enjoy. So I like those field roast brats. I think they're great, and I recommend yeah, them. Yeah, they're delicious. Anyway, Very. so that's uh, one of the fun things that we're looking forward to, and we wanted to tell you about the album and where to get it. And we also want to tell you about something. Um, we, just, we just scheduled it for next Wednesday, May 30th. Right. One of the last things of the month. Mm -hmm. And that is our Patreon Hangout, where we go on Google Hangouts and just hang out with our Patreon members and talk and have fun. and little online party. Mm -hmm. And we talk about some ideas for the show and people tell their paranormal stories and we we talk about the latest stuff in paranormal news. And it's really a treat. And we'll be doing it next Wednesday. That is May 30th at 7 o'clock p.m. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It was so much fun last time. And as always, we welcome suggestions for topics to discuss and uh, wear your weirdest paranormal shirt. That's right. You have to wear a paranormal shirt. Or any other. You don't have to wear a paranormal shirt. No, you don't. It's fun, though. It is. (laughs) It is fun if you got like it. It gives me a reason to get a, a shirt at every paranormal convention we go to. There you go. There you go. And speaking of. One more plug of upcoming events, paranormal conventions. If you guys are going to Haunted America 
Uh, that is June 22nd through 24th. Uh, Wendy and I will be performing. Uh, Sunspot Acoustic Duo will be kicking off the festivities at Haunted America with songs we wrote for this podcast and our, our paranormal music. And um, Haunted America is awesome. Rosemary Allen Guiley is going to be there. Uh, Robert Damon Shank, the historian of the strange, will be there. It's run by Troy Taylor, who is a paranormal ghost story expert. Yes. And it looks like they do still have tickets available. So oh, um, fantastic. if you're interested in going to that, their site is ghostconference.net. So, if you like checking that out. Anyway, just giving you a plug because that might be something you might be interested in if you travel to different paranormal conventions. Uh, you can hang out with us. We're going to have a table. We're going to be playing some music and we're going to be going to check out the cool presentations talking about weird stuff, man. Um, you know what weird stuff was in the news this week when? Which item, Mike? Well, this week it was all about the octopus. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I love it when this comes. this stuff comes in the mainstream news. Because oh, that you know, that's when you get people like there's more engagement in like the online forums. And the funny thing about any any kind of mainstream news lately is if you know one story comes out and then there's a thousand stories written about it. Right. And like 995 of those stories are just writing about what other people wrote about the original just story. Regurgitating. In the first place. Yeah. And so I mean, basically, you read it once. You get the gist of it. But if you look through all of them, uh, like I did, sometimes each one features little different bits of information. You know, and so that's what makes it kind of fun. And and so one of the fun things about living in the information age is that there's a thousand ways to read the same damn thing. (laughs) But if you're an information junkie like me, then it's exciting to maybe glean a little piece of something new every time. And this dominated my newsfeed, uh, probably because my newsfeed is centered on aliens and ghosts and demonic possession. (laughs) Imagine that. I also have a science fiction section. (laughs) Because aliens, ghosts, and demonic possession does not come under the science fiction section. No, not at all. (laughs) But okay. So what came out this week is uh, there was a new study that people were doing on octopi. Now, Wendy, what do you really know about the octopus? I don't know much about it other than, you know, that it has eight legs. Right, <laughs> it's okay. It's squishy. <laughs> it's squishy. It's got eight legs. Those are good right there. They're I mean, really cool to watch them move the way they kind of yeah, undulate as they're... Yeah. I guess, and I was making a hand... We both were making hand sounds. Or right, hand, which our audience cannot, cannot see. see. You just hear me go whoop, whoop. You can use your imagination to visualize Mike and I with our hands up doing an octopus <laughs> moving motion. like an octopus right <laughs> uh, a five-legged octopus and you know and, and octopi are pretty scary they are right and, and to me it's I, I think of i saw the movie popeye when i was i don't know four or five popeye with robin williams as popeye yeah that was a good version of him yeah shelly duvall as olive oil um robert altman the great director of mash uh and the player, and I mean, obviously, and uh, what was his last movie? Was the Prairie Home Companion? Anyway, Robert Altman was a was a comedic, uh, a great director, and he did. They did a live action version of Popeye with Robin Williams. So I don't know if you guys have seen it. If you're if you're our age, you probably saw it because it was popular. Also, with the advent of home video, you know, then you, right. would, you could resee it. <laughs> but we saw it like the drive-in, I think. And uh, anyway, Popeye fights an octopus, and that's really scary. It's totally scary. Yeah. And, you know, as a little kid, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, and it was just a, a super scary scene. So my first idea of the <laughs> octopus is as something like terrifying that Popeye has to rob. The Williams kind of thing that somebody strong has to fight. <laughs> right. That you have to eat your spinach before you punch it in its big invertebrate face. Um, 
But you know, the octopus is, is interesting too because sailors have always been talking about how dangerous the sea is. And uh, if you take another movie, we can take uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, yes. Yeah, and Kirk Douglas and uh, James Mason. Oh, that's right. James Mason is in it. I was just thinking about him a few minutes ago. And Anyway, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is a great movie, but they fight off a giant squid. And and the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride at Disneyland, don't you like see the giant squid? I don't remember, but I wouldn't be surprised because that, that is kind of a startling that's a, visual. That's a big part and of the movie. Squid, another creepy sea creature. A <laughs> Very octopus-like. Yeah, the, it's these... It's these cephalopod creatures <laughs> and uh, i think squids are kind of dumber than octopi mm. we talk about intelligence but okay let's just do a couple of things about the octopi then we're going to talk about their intelligence and we're going to talk about why they're from space there is a world octopus day what if you didn't know there's a world octopus day and it's on october 8th <laughs> oh my gosh that's perfect okay right. let's get our costumes ready for a world octopus day this yes. year wouldn't it be fun it well <laughs> to run around dressed up like an octopus I do think, though, because we, we're always going to paranormal conventions in October, that October oh, 8th, yeah. if there's a paranormal convention, it could be the alien squids. Like, that would be a good cosplay That's thing. That's hilarious. So anyway, okay. something to think Make about. Make a note of it. Put it on the calendar. And if Wendy and I are not at that convention, you guys can steal it if we're there. Right. Well, we can recruit them for a team That's of true. octopi. That's true. We could be <laughs> a whole team of octopi. No animal is more savage in causing the death of man in the water. For it struggles with him by coiling round him, and it swallows him with sucker cups and drags him asunder. Pl- Pliny the Elder wrote that in his Naturalist Historia in 79 AD. Wow. So, I mean, that kind of sets the example for how we feel about octopi when he's just like, they're going to kill you. And it, <laughs> Popeye set my example. Pliny the Elder sent very sm- much more there you smart, go. intelligent people. <laughs> Way back then example why we're why we're terrified of cephalopods uh 1801 the histoire naturelle general uh anyway it's french but it's the, the the natural history of mollusks talks about a vicious octopus attack on the beach and it even shows an illustration of the kraken oh, and the, the kraken. giant squid right the kraken yes. the, you know, and that's something they always talk about in cryptozoology books that um, sailors would always talk about the kraken and the kraken would be, as, they think of it as a sea serpent, but the serpent really was the legs of a giant squid uh, wrapping its arms around the ship and bringing it under. And then when they discovered that giant squids were real, that's mother's milk for a cryptozoologist. <laughs> right? she like, this is, it's, <laughs> it's real. I knew it was going to be real. Anyway, how uh, long? And last time I went to the Smithsonian, they had like the leg of a giant squid. Ooh. Maybe what did that look like? Was just it, a piece of it? Was it in water or was it like dried up? I think it was dried up. I can't. This was a, a while ago. I've been to the okay. Smithsonian a few years, but this was in my adult life, so I remember it. Maybe a 10 years ago. And uh, no, I was, I was like, this is a long tentacle. <laughs> like you can see if you saw something creeping out of the water, oh, if you're, man. especially if you're a, um, let's say not well-educated sailor in the 16th yeah. century or something like that, and you're superstitious all the time. And why are you superstitious? Because your whole livelihood and often your life depends on the, the wind. Right. You know, so you're looking for all the luck you can get. So I always, I always feel like, oh yeah, sailors are superstitious. Yeah. Because, I mean, we think that in Wisconsin, we think our lives are ruled by the weather. Oh gosh. Yeah, on the seas. Right. Imagine it's if you're crazy. in a boat. 
Yeah, they've got bigger things to worry about than a soggy beer garden. <laughs> yes, they totally do. Like we're we're upset. We're like, oh, I'm gonna get my guitar <laughs> the wet. The grass is wet. Right, and they're like, we're gonna die. <laughs> and of course, H.P. Lovecraft makes the octopus even scarier. Oh gosh, yes. By giving Thulu, I mean, we always say it as Cthulhu because yeah. the proper way, like Cthulhu or whatever, how you're supposed to say it, Cthulhu, like <laughs> sounds silly, you know. You have to say it like as if you're Cthulhu saying his own name. <laughs> right. <Cthulhu. laughs> um, we even wrote a song about Cthulhu oh, yeah. for for our President's Day episode in 2016. <laughs> Song called "Vote Cthulhu." You guys can check that. I will put a link in the show notes because we already we wrote a song about a, a cephalopod-like creature. Anyway, Cthulhu has a head of an octopus, like body of a man, but wings and basically the head of an octopus, and that makes him even scarier. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I, I, and so when you think about you know why an octopus seems so alien to us, number one, they live in the water, so we don't know that much about them. Number two, they got no bones, right? So there's no. They're just cartilage, basically, right? Yeah, they're cartilage are like those. I mean, think about the things that you throw at the wall and they stick <laughs> when you were a kid or whatever, like those yeah. little those sticky the hands. hands. Yeah, yeah, sticky hands. That's what an octopus is made out of. So, of course, they're going to seem alien to us. They have three hearts. Their blood is blue. They have a beak like a parrot. They poison bite, venom like snakes. They shoot out ink, Right. So they've got a built-in, um, they've got a built-in defense mechanism of shooting out ink. They can fit through tiny spaces. Yeah, that's you know, cool. They can so fit their cool. little sticky hand wall bodies through tiny spaces. <laughs> uh, some octopi can change color like at will. Like they swim right up next to something and they'll, oh, they'll those change are the amazing. color. Amazing right. video of it. It's so cool. Yeah. And they taste with their skin. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> Right. Imagine how differently you would hold oh, on to things if you tasted with your skin. You'd never sit on a public bus seat. I would. Ne- well, you would never sit oh, on I a guess public toilet. To never mind. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like every, you know, think about that. Ew, 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 ew. No. Yeah. I, I don't, right. You'd just be like, oh like man. That. <laughs> so the octopus is just a very, uh, a very alien like species to us automatically, you know, already. But the thing is, they're so intelligent. Octopi will treat people differently that they know versus they don't know. If an octopi gets to know you, some will be playful with you. Like uh, this one diver reports like an octopi wrapping his tentacle around him, taking him by the hand and uh, taking him to his den. Oh, his little buddy. Yeah, little buddy octopus, which... Can, you know, shoot ink at you or kill you with venom or strangle you with his eight arms. Yeah. And they have a you know personality, like some are shy, some are grumpy, some, you know, some are friendly. Like octopi have what we would associate with mammals. Like they're different characters. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's a guy, uh, Peter Godfrey Smith is an octopus researcher and uh, he wrote a book called Other Minds, where he discusses octopi consciousness. And he suggests that they they evolved before we did, that they've been on Earth a thousand times longer than we have. Okay, which isn't that weird, because if you think that the Homo sapien, like our present species, uh, has only been here for, what, like 100,000 years <laughs> or something like that? You know, so we haven't even been here that long. Yeah. 
so that they could be there for 100 million years wow. developing separately in the ocean. And I mean, he suggests that there's a, you know, like cephalopod intelligence is, is super high. Um, and that like cephalopod IQ and, you know, he, he goes into it. They engineer small cities um, that uh, every, every one of their arms has its own neurons. So when you cut an arm off, it can still feel and move around and respond. So it's almost like the chicken with its head cut off that kind of runs around for a little while until it dies. Yeah. Well, this is something we were talking about in the Frankenstein episode, remember? So that last week we talked about Mary Shelley and Frankenstein in 200 years. And we talked about in the electrical where they, they would hook a body up to yeah. electrical <laughs> electrodes and then they you know galvanize the body and make the body move around and in the and we talked about this frankenstein movie where they did that with a severed hand severed like right. an arm. <laughs> yeah well and now that's just electricity doing the talking with an octopus like that arm's still like it feels like so you put your finger and it rat it's it's hard to even fathom that actually yeah it still feels because it has individual uh neurons that fire and stuff so that's that's amazing but they are so different and intelligent. And what this latest study came out was that uh, this, there's this thing called the Cambrian Explosion that um, you know, like 540 million years ago. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's a ton of biodiversity across the planet. Like out of nowhere, uh, all these different kinds of animals start developing. So... So biodiversity from, you know, starting with invertebrates and, and to vertebrates, like all kinds of different animals. Like, like we know today, you can go to the forest and you see a thousand different kinds of animals. Mm-hmm. So early, earlier on in evolution, there weren't that many different kinds of creatures because we're, you know, half bacteria most of the time. And we'll talk about bacteria in a second too. But then this Cambrian explosion, all of a sudden, boom, the fossil record shows that we have a ton of different uh, kinds of animals and 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 molecules and all this new biology in the world. Okay, so people were suggesting that a virus came to the earth and started altering the different molecules and the different DNA and everything, and that's what started mutating all these creatures. And that virus came from space, right? So that was, <laughs> that's the idea of panspermia, mm-hmm. which literally means seeds everywhere. So that's the... Uh, uh, sperm, seeds, pan, everything, everywhere. And so panspermia is that life on Earth developed from stuff coming in from space. So like we have we have Martian rocks on Earth, right? So we have pieces of Mars on our planet. Now how did that, like, which meant an asteroid smacked into Mars. Sure. Uh, and and it delivered a some special yeah. delivery. <laughs> Special delivery, delivered a little piece, smacked into Mars, got some rocks from it, and smacked into Earth. Now, the idea of panspermia is that microbes inside a comet or an asteroid or, you know, a space object might be able to survive in the vacuum of space and in the cold freeze of space and go from planet to planet. Now, this is more of a random thing. Like, if there were microorganisms on Mars, smack the Martian rocks. You know, so this is not, like, this is not directed. Right. It just accidentally got transferred, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea is, I mean, when you have billions of years to talk about, right. that, you know, microbes just start f- 
going yeah. from planet to planet. And depending on the environment of the planet they land on, you know, they can evolve in different ways. But the thing is, what I think is interesting is the, the different creatures that can survive in space. Yeah, it's amazing. They've been doing tests on it. And have you ever heard of a, a, a tardigrade? No, I'm not familiar. Okay, so a water bear hmm. um, is, is what they call it. And they're interesting because, number one, you can only see them under like an electron microscope. Or, I'm sorry, not just an electron. A regular microscope can see them too. But an electron microscope, you can get like a, you can see what they look like. And I'll try to get a, um, I'll try to get a shot of this uh, in the show notes. And that's going to be at otherSidePodcast.com slash 197 because they are weird looking things. <laughs> cool. Okay, tardigrade. The, these it little sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. Or they're also called moss piglets. Ooh. Yeah. That's even, that's creepier sounding. Water bear sounds cute. Yeah, well, that's true. They have eight legs. They have hands with little claws on them. And remember, they're, they're microscopic. Uh-huh. They're damn near indestructible. Huh. Tardigrade is a phylum. Sorry. So it, it's a category of, of one of these animals. There's a thousand different species of them wow. that, you know, we've discovered so far. And... This live science article I'm looking at right now says they look mostly like the hookah smoking caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Totally. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at a picture right now and it's very, all I could think of is I feel like I've seen this creature in a sci-fi movie. Yeah. And so that's Alice in Wonderland. And it does look like a caterpillar. (laughs) Yeah. But it's obviously way scarier looking. I mean, the the microscopic picture of it because they look real chubby with like rolls of... (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what. And there's no eyes, too. I think they have like a nose-looking thing and no eyes and these little arms with claws on them. So, of course, they're a little, a little The stuff weird. of nightmares, basically. Yeah. You know, I think most creatures without eyes freak us out. Yeah, yeah. But also the claws. Yeah. Hey, right. But the thing is, you really shouldn't be afraid of them because uh, they are seldom bigger than a millimeter long. Wow. Okay. So they are too, too tiny. They usually live at the bottom of a lake. Or on a piece of moss, moss piglets, uh, or anywhere wet, wet and damp. But they can they can withstand environments as cold as negative three hundred and twenty eight degrees Fahrenheit, or more than three hundred degrees Fahrenheit above. Mm. I mean, that's above boiling, above everything. Wow, you know. that's amazing. Yeah, they survive radiation, boiling liquids. Um, they can they can survive to six times the pressure of the deepest part of the ocean. And even in the vacuum of space. So, a 2008 study published in the journal Current Biology found that some species of tardigrade could survive 10 days at low Earth orbit while being exposed to the space vacuum and solar radiation. That's impressive. Yeah. It could, so, could this thing could survive on a comet? Yeah, good little astronauts. Maybe. Now, they don't eat people, which is good. <laughs> Yay. They suck the juice. Do juices. they pinch them with their claws, though? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they could be pinching us right now. Oh, no. It's only a millimeter. We're being pinched Yuck. by Tardigrade. By, I'm being pinched by a moss piglet as we speak. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> right. So, um, some of them eat other things, smaller things than a millimeter. Some of them are cannibals. So, we got a Tardigrade cannibal. Very scary. But either way, these things can can survive in space. And we're even testing out panspermia. We're testing that out at the International Space Station and stuff. Like people will put bacteria and everything um, out and see how long it can last. And one guy said that there's a tardigrade that went into hibernation. 
Okay, so this one study talks about how they, they go into hibernation and can survive for a long time um, just by bringing their body temperature down really low and not consuming any oxygen or anything like that. So they can survive in a, like a hibernation state. And one study actually revived uh, a tardigrade and a couple of eggs after 30 years in this Whoa. hibernation state. Okay? Now, this is very different than a million years out in space or whatever. For sure. But still, uh, how long would an asteroid take to get from Mars to Earth? Right. It only needs to survive that amount of time. Right. And so if they could survive for 30 years, you know, who's to say that a microbe couldn't survive in there and then comes to Earth and evolves into something? So that's, I mean, a little bit about panspermia. We're working on sending uh, microscopic ambassadors to different planets to finding out how, you know, how they would work in, in, a, in a different different planetary environment. Uh, it's an operation called the Breakthrough Starshot Initiative. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, you, you never know what you're, you, how you might be affecting the future by <laughs> Well, and that's a, good, that's a good point. You know, NASA even has somebody called the Planetary Protection Officer. Huh. And the Planetary Protection Officer's job is to... Keep track of what's getting sent up there? And what's coming in. Ah, okay. I guess so we care more about that than... <laughs> right. But we also we do also care about how we would affect other planets. So that the planetary protection... I mean, every, right now everything's very theoretical and stuff, but the planetary protection officer's job is to make sure that alien microbes and stuff like that don't come back with the space shuttle or a satellite or something. And it's also the job that, that we don't just shoot out weird bacteria into space. Right, with, okay. And it was funny because we even wrote about it in our newsletter. Uh, the See You on the Other Side newsletter comes out every week with the five best paranormal stories. And when they were looking for a new planetary protection officer last year, we put it in our, our newsletter. That's right. So that people would uh, have a chance. They could apply. They could sign up. <laughs> yeah, you could apply and you could become the planetary protection officer. There's only one of them. That's the most unique job yeah. in the U.S. probably. Yeah. But I mean, I guess there's only oh. one president. Right. <laughs> And a lot of other things too, but yeah, but I mean, I would say it's still a very unique job. All right. Maybe it doesn't have to be the most. Yeah. Anyway. So breakthrough Starshot, um, they're designing tiny spacecraft to go up to 20% the speed of light using lasers and we'd launch them towards nearby alien worlds. And then we try to get information about the planet, search for signs of life. And we'd have little uh, bacteria. The spores of the bacteria species Bacillus subtilis can survive for at least six years when exposed to the space environment. Hmm. So we would be doing our own testing of panspermia with these little one gram spacecraft that would be um, I mean, shot with lasers, I guess. The technology is not there yet. We're just working on it. Cool. But I mean, we're testing this, this panspermia thing ourselves. So one of the things, going back to the octopi, one of the things that these guys were talking about in their octopus journal that came out was that perhaps the eggs of the octopus uh, came in like a comet or a meteor or something like that and then came to Earth and the the octopus developed independently of other kinds of Earth. Wow. So now... There was 33 different scientists who worked on this particular article for the journal. And one of the scientists is one of the guys who worked on the original panspermia theory back in the oh. 1970s. So, uh, yes, it is plausible. Like, he was just saying that it is one of the plausible explanations of why octopi are so different than every other creature on the planet is because they were developed out of 
an alien species. Now, does that mean they are an alien species? No. (laughs) It does not mean they are an alien species. And when people tested the actual genome of the octopus, uh, I think they finished it a few years ago. When they went to the genome, they found out that like the... The DNA of the octopus split off from the squids like 150 million years ago or something like that. So it did still share plenty of DNA uh, with other okay. Earth creatures. So it Dang. still is possible. It still is quite possible that uh, octopi came from space. Uh, yes. Um, through, through panspermia. That's cool. uh, That eggs were in a comet or a meteor or whatever and fell to Earth and then just developed over the course of hundreds of millions yeah. of years into those eight-legged, no backbone ink squirting suction cupping (laughs) suction cupping Cthulhu looking denizens (laughs) of the deep but for now it's just a theory and it's not it's not one that most you know most scientists would be like yeah sure maybe they came from space but octopi aren't really aliens probably so but the headline that came out was like, finally, octopi revealed to be aliens. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> yes. like, this is for real. Um, and I remember even last Monday, somebody's like, oh, man, there's going to be this crazy announcement. Um, and it's going to be about aliens. Nice. I'm not going to believe it. And it's some, like somebody tweeted that as oh, like a preview. Man. And I'm like, oh, man, like, what's it going to be? Got your hopes up. And then the first articles I see, like, octopi might be aliens. <sighs> and it's just this one paragraph. Uh, that's in this journal that mentions that they, you know, they might have some, you know, is one possibility through through this panspermia theory, which is already controversial. <laughs> so I didn't want to get everybody's hopes, hopes up that we were going to prove today that octopus really are from another planet. No, but so it's an I interesting apologize. concept. Yeah. Well, did you ever see the movie The Arrival? I don't know. That's uh, Amy Adams talking to aliens. Not sure if I've seen that one. It's a good movie. And I'm not spoiling anything. When you see the aliens, they look like octopi. Oh, cool. Like they're big. You never really see them like up close. Like Amy Adams doesn't go up and hug an alien. <laughs> like when she plays Lois Lane in the Superman movie, she goes up and makes out with an alien. She doesn't make out with these big octopi aliens. <laughs> okay. They're, they're always like behind in this tank or whatever. But they, she learns how to communicate with them. Cool. And that's the movie. Um, and it's, it's a great movie. It's the same guy that did Blade Runner 2049. And he's going to make a version of Dune, which mm, I'm excited about. Because uh, even though I enjoyed David Lynch's Dune, I think it's about, and even like the sci-fi miniseries from like the year 2000 was pretty good. But I think it's about time for a big budget version of Dune that does it some special effects justice. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> you know, the idea that uh, life on Earth came from space, though, we have that, you know, the, all the thoughts of like, okay, pan, panspermia is a fairly scientific way of putting it because there it's something that is, is plausible. Like you can believe that there's microbes that evolved on other planets and those microbes came here or microbes are flying through space. It's not saying that there is this intelligence that's directing microbes to yeah. go to each place. Mm-hmm. That is for the realm of science fiction or the fine people at Ancient Aliens. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Well, we've all seen that picture of Giorgio, you know, that meme where he's like, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. And you guys know what I'm talking about. He's got, he's got, he's got a great hairstyle that must take him, I mean, an hour to put together every day. Like, I don't know. It's amazing. 
Yeah, if it, I mean, if he's hairspraying it together, the combination of what you have to do with the hairspray and what you have to do with the blow dryer, <laughs> it's going to take Giorgio all day to make this happen. And, you know, originally when I was watching Ancient Aliens, and I didn't know anything about Giorgio, and we're talking about Giorgio Tsakis, who is the guy they always show on the Ancient Aliens show. And, you know, when I originally saw him, I'm like, okay, he's just some wacko. <laughs> but I didn't know that he actually is the protege of Eric Von Daniken. Really? Yes. So he's the protege of the man that wrote Chariots of the Gods. Oh, that's or crazy. Actually, there's a question mark in the title, so I need to say it correctly. Chariots of the Gods would be the proper way or to... Or it could be Chariots of the Gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we always say it so quickly, like yeah. Chariots of the Gods. We don't say... It. The title is a question. Yes. So, so when so in the late 60s, Eric Von Daniken releases this book, and this was what really popularized the ancient astronaut. Before we said ancient aliens, they always called them ancient astronauts, that we were being visited by people from space. And he releases Chariots of the Gods in the late 60s. And that's kind of really kicks off the modern age of what we think of um, aliens visiting us in ancient times. And we already t- we talked about this in one of our first episodes. When we talked about uh, Sammy Hagar seeing a UFO. Right. We compared oh, Sammy Hagar's UFO. And he was like abducted. Yeah. Dude, aliens <laughs> abducted the Red Rocker, man. They picked That's... a good one to do a study on there. <laughs> they said. Because he's like, he, you know, can you imagine him up at the ship? And he's like, <laughs> you guys want to try my tequila? <laughs> Hell yeah. Party the party. Let's go to space. I can't drive 55 down here. Oh god. I can't drive. Well, and then imagine speed. imagine the aliens being like, "What on earth is this creature?" Yeah. <laughs> you right, those guys, they picked up Sammy Hanger and they got to be like, "Uh, can we Can we take him back?" <laughs> They're like, "No, we listen to OUA 12. Sammy, I'm sorry. You're oh, going home." No. But anyway, yeah, so so we talked about Sammy, and we also talked about uh, Ezekiel in the Bible, because Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air. <laughs> yes, <right>? he did. <laughs> and so Ezekiel saw, so th- that's one of the things they talk about, that, that in the Bible, there's a UFO encounter. Ezekiel sees a wheel. Ezekiel sees a flying saucer. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of, of, of different ideas of, of ancient astronaut theories Th- this is one that actually surprised me. I didn't know this before. Okay. So Charles Fort, who is a Fortian, mm-hmm. I mean, the word Fortian comes from him. He writes the Book of the Damned in 1919. And he goes in to how he believes that we've been visited by aliens in ancient times. Okay. So I never realized that Charles Fort had talked about this. So this is... Uh, fifty, you know, fifty years before *Chariots of the Gods*. Wow! And uh, and and then that stop saying it like that right now, because if I say it like a question every time I have to say *Chariots of the Gods*, I'm gonna be super annoying. Yeah. And, uh, Are you gonna change the way you sing the song when we play it live? No, no, because we didn't put a question mark on purpose. <laughs> I'm just saying, so, if you get in the habit. Right, then it's going to be super annoying. <laughs> and then I'm going to say it live, and people are going to be like, why? He's, is he, who's he asking yeah, that question what's up to? with that weird inflection? Like, it's their song. Like, is he, did he, did he ask me something? <laughs> okay. 
So Charles Fort writes that in the Book of the Damned, and he says this in a very, let me quote him, If I say I conceive of another world that is now in secret communication with certain esoteric inhabitants of this earth, I say I conceive of still other worlds that are trying to establish communication with all the inhabitants of this earth. I fit my notions to the data I find. That is supposed to be right and logical and scientific thing to do, but it is no way to approximate the form, system, organization. Then I think I conceive of other worlds and vast structures that pass us by, within a few miles, without the slightest desire to communicate, quite as tramp vessels pass many islands without particularizing one from another. And he's talking about how there's just aliens rolling around. There's people who come by. They don't care. It's like driving by a town on your way somewhere. You're not going to be like, oh, there's Earth. Great. We'll stop by there later. (laughs) We'll get get, If we need to get gas. Stop for an ice cream on the way home. And he's saying, I accept that, though we're usually avoided, probably for moral reasons. Sometimes this earth has been visited by explorers. I think that the notion that there have been extra mundane visitors to China within what we call the historic period will only ordinarily absurd when we come to that datum. All right. I'm not saying that he wrote this in the most easy to read and understand way possible, because <laughs> the book of the damned is somewhat inscrutable, even though it's really interesting. But he... He's going through this thing where he talks about how he thinks that aliens have come to the planet. And he says, I accept that some of the worlds are of conditions very similar to our own. I think of others that are very different so that visitors from them could not live here without artificial adaptations. How some of them could breathe our attenuated air if they came from a gelatinous atmosphere. Which, right, can you imagine breathing jello? Right, that's what this is what Charles Ford's saying. If they come from a world of jello, um, he thinks masks. So they had to bring masks. The masks that have been found in ancient deposits. And he brings out an example of a mask found in Sullivan County, Missouri in 1879. And he finds this uh, in a, a book called, or I'm sorry, a magazine called the American Antiquarian and Oriental Journal. Oh. So this is obviously before the days of PC when you wouldn't say mm-hmm. Oriental. but this, Because Oriental does mean something mysterious. Something un- not understood. So when you're speaking the Oriental, uh, you speak of China and stuff as the Orient, you're talking about a 19th century notion of about how we didn't understand Eastern culture at the time. So this American Antiquarian and Oriental Journal from 1879, a silver and iron mask found in Missouri. Mr. Hannibal Fox of Milton, Sullivan County, Missouri, wrote in December 5th, 1879, in reference to finding of a mask made, as he says, of silver and iron and enclosed a photograph of the same. Melting silver and iron in a crucible and preparing a matrix by playing clay over the face after death and pouring the metal so that the vessel tipped do not seem to be operations which are usual among the, and here they call Native Americans, aborigines, as far as we know, even among the mound builders. The mask was plowed up in a field and is now in the possession of Mr. Fox. Couple interesting things here. Okay, number one, the Aborigines referred to the Indian tribes, the American Indian tribes that were in Missouri at the time. So he said they didn't have silver and iron, is what you know they were saying. And actually creating a mask for somebody out of silver and iron, like was found, would have been impossible for these people. Uh-huh. So he's thinking about the Native Americans. And second, he says, or even the mound builders. And this is something interesting, because in the 19th century, there's all these mounds over the court of Wisconsin, a little bit of Illinois, and we have these huge mounds like the that look like animals. There's in Madison, 
itself. Yeah, There's yeah. A, the overall like, shape of the mound resembles an animal. Yeah. And we've got some of the biggest here in the city. And Wisconsin has more of these mounds than anywhere else. Okay? And University of Wisconsin actually built. They had to bust up a mound to make it. Well, one of the interesting things about the mounds is that um, they don't really know who built them. So it's not. it wasn't the people, the, the Indians who were living in Wisconsin right. at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was an earlier civilization than them. But to the um, racist 19th century uh, settlers and stuff, yeah, they, just they did not think that the Native Americans like, oh, they couldn't, they couldn't have had the technology to do this. So they went up and they thought of the mound of the, of the mound builders as a separate culture from the Indians entirely. Some suggested that they were the lost tribes of Israel. You know, some suggested that they were an early European settlement or Vikings that came over. And so it was interesting to find this in this particular Charles Fort discovers this when he's going through the American Antiquarian and Oriental Journal. And then when you're looking through the American Antiquarian and Oriental Journal, they mention uh, the Indians couldn't do this or even the mound builders. So they're making the suggestion right there that the mound builders are a separate culture Mm. uh, from the Native Americans right there. And, you know, that lost tribe of Israel being in the U.S., um, that's something that another uh, a religion that talks about ancient aliens, they posited that as well. That actually the Native American, the, the American Indians here already were that lost tribe of Israel. Okay. So that's the Mormons, as Joseph Smith said. And uh, to Mormons, people on other worlds, they believe that there's life all over the universe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what God or Moroni... Oh, I never say it right. Moroni. I still haven't seen Book of Mormon, so excuse me. <laughs> um, so I don't know how to say Moroni, Moroni. Moroni makes him sound like this Italian gangster. I'm going to come down to Joseph Smith. Let me tell you what God has, has something for you. <laughs> um, but he's visited by this angel. It says he comes from the Pleiades, comes from, you know, comes from space, and then delivers all this stuff that, you know, Joseph Smith learns about God and creates the Mormon church and everything. And this is in Missouri in the mid 18, or I'm sorry, in the very early 1800s. This is in Missouri that this is happening to Joseph Smith. So Moroni tells him that God made many worlds out there in the universe and populated them with people. So there were humans on these planets. So when Mormons think about aliens, they don't think of them as aliens. They just think there's humans on other planets. Elsewhere, yeah. (laughs) Right. And uh, so it wouldn't, you know, if we were visited by ancient aliens, it would just be another human Hmm. who came there. And and Jesus came to all the planets and was down with, you know, Jesus came and did did his whole thing on those other planets like he did here. And I mean, part of the religion too is that one day when you evolve enough and stuff, uh, you'll get your own planet mm. to hang out on. Fun. But God lives on a planet like called Kolob. That reminds me of Shakari a little bit, like that, that, that center of the universe yeah. thing that from Star Trek V. So God has that planet Kolob that, that, that's like his favorite place. That's his planet. And what's funny, well, not really funny, but if we go to science fiction uh, and the idea of ancient astronauts, Battlestar Galactica created Glenn Larson, grew up Mormon. So he calls their planet, that their home planet or whatever, that they all came from, Kobol. Oh, okay. And then all the tribes are going out from Kobol and they're looking to find Earth. Huh. And so there's even a, a serious element of ancient astronauts and Mormonism, the Battlestar Galactica. Wow. And if you guys have seen the final episode of the remake of Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica never had a final episode because it got canceled. 
And it was super cheesy, if you remember. But I don't want to spoil Battlestar Galactica. It's a little too recent for everybody. It's worth seeing. Um, but the ending definitely connects to Ancient Astronauts. And that, that was inspired by uh, these stories of ancient astronauts in Mormonism. I thought was interesting too. And that's something I didn't know before we were researching that. So, you know, and ancient astronauts are found all over science fiction. So one of the things they talk about in Chariots of the Gods is is the, uh, you know, the pyramids. Like how did they build the pyramids? You know, how did they move these gigantic pieces of rock around? Yeah, with superhuman strength. That's what, like, how would they do that? Like, how would they build these gigantic pyramids? And so, I mean, Eric Von Daniken's always just like, well, you know, you know what it's going to be. It's, <laughs> it's aliens came and helped them out. And now we have different explanations for how they handled the pyramids and stuff. But movies like Stargate used that idea that aliens visited us and they were, they, they created like a slave race out of humans. Oh, and they grabbed, they grabbed some humans from Egypt and took them with them to this other planet to work for them. But when they did that, um, the pyramids were actually built to, to worship these aliens from the Stargate universe. Okay, that's cool. And so that's another example where they kind of took what Eric Van Dyneken wrote in Chariots of the Gods and then expanded on that. Now, m- my favorite example of humans being plucked, like ancient humans being plucked away from the Earth is, is from a, a British film. Now, we, we talk about Hammer horror films fairly often because Hammer horror films were so awesome. So when we were talking about Frankenstein movies last week, that's Hammer. Uh, all those great Dracula movies with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were Hammer. And then they redid uh, some of these British serials from the 1950s. And uh, there was a British serial called Quartermass and the Pit. And okay. when you say serial, you mean like a series, right? Yeah, so like six like six episode series. Not like Captain Crunch. No, <laughs> this British serial called like yes. <laughs> okay. When you eat, like, like I can imagine Quartermass in the Pit cereal. Does it have like insect marshmallows <laughs> and stuff? Uh, um, so this movie because we didn't have Quartermass in the United States because that was a very English series. They released it in the United States as Five Million Years to Earth. Okay. And so the idea, and that's how I saw it when I was a kid. And when I saw it, the idea blew my mind. This is the first time I'd ever really, you know, I probably saw it before I'd even read Chariots of the Gods because this is the first time that I've been introduced to the idea of genetic memory, that we remember things because of things that happened to our ancestors, that, that memory can be imprinted into our evolution. And in this movie, what happens is um, there, there's these ancient Martians when their and their planet is dying, they come to Earth and they grab some monkeys. They grab some, you know, very early man, take them back to Mars, and they give them special powers, like some psychic powers. They give them uh, like telekinesis, uh, some kind of telepathy, and they do that. They they imprint them with some of their own genes, so that they can kind of recolonize the Earth, mm. and then they send them back to Earth. Uh, what happens is the Martian species, though, goes extinct. And in the 1960s, they discover one of their old spacecraft in this British tube tunnel. <laughs> and weird things start happening. Oh, cool. People start seeing ghosts. Uh, you know, telekinesis stuff starts happening. And like there's crazy projections of weird insect-like beings and, and things. And, and people are seeing weird stuff. Oh, man, that's because- scary. It's be- right. I mean, I saw when I was like six. Yeah. It scared the crap out of me. And it's because the alien DNA is being activated. Mm. So we have this alien DNA. And it's eventually dormant. what happens, right, until the, the spaceship gets dug out 
and then the the spaceship has like systems that go online and starts activating the DNA in people. And the idea is the people that have the DNA are going to make the planet ready for the aliens by then going to kill the people without the DNA. Yeah. <laughs> so then all hell breaks loose in London. Yeah. And until they figure out a way around it. Scary but, concept. And and so that that was that's the the first introduction to the idea that oh my god like aliens could have interfered in our evolution <laughs> millions of years ago. And also the idea that we're afraid of insects or they freak us out because the Martians were insect-like. Oh, okay. So we're, you know... Yeah, it seems irrational to be afraid of something so tiny, but yet right. a lot of people are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the reason we're afraid of them is because that's, that's bred into us because we're supposed to be afraid of our Martian masters. Mm. And it's worth seeing even though it's, I mean, it's a 50-year-old movie this year. And Nick Redfern just wrote a great article about it. And so it's always worth reading Cool. Uh, whatever Nick Redfern writes. But um, that was what kind of introduced me to the idea of, of ancient aliens. Mm. And, you know, we've talked about this in some other episodes, too, that, that people have discussed how, like, all of a sudden humans get smarter at a certain point in our evolution, like how we develop tools, like... Um, Arthur C. Clarke does that in 2001. Uh, they go to the monolith, this big black rock. So the monolith lands on Earth. And in the beginning of the movie, you see the monkeys playing and stuff. <laughs> and when the monolith is there, and when the monolith arrives, they start to use tools. They use bones as tools. And it's all done without words. Yeah. Like the first 20 minutes of 2001 that's are cool. awesome because it's all done without words. But it kind of shows that because of the monolith, that's how we advanced like a quantum leap in, hey, we're going to use tools now. <laughs> yeah. Well, other people have, you know, suggested those kind of things are actually, remember there was a, um, a presentation at the Paradigm Symposium of a woman who was saying that aliens had interfered at different points in our evolution. Yes. And she had like a whole chart of like, here's, you know, at this place, there's no other reason why we would have advanced to a certain level right. if it weren't for some kind of genetic manipulation. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea behind the movie Prometheus, too, that they seeded life on Earth to the, the big monsters that eventually created the aliens from the alien mm-hmm, franchise. Nice. So it's, it's a much more popular, I think, TV and film trope now than it's ever been. Uh, this idea that people have been playing with humanity for, you know, millions of years. And the idea that life could have came from space does have a little bit of scientific proof. Yes, it does. And as we learn more about our own planet, hopefully we'll find other clues that could be related to that, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I'm, ex- I'm excited uh, to find out if any more species are like the octopi. Yeah, me too. And really from outer space. So anyway, so when you're looking at the headlines of our octopi from space, there's a whole new journal article about it that proves it. Don't believe the headline. <sighs> um, Don't fall for it. There is a paragraph in there that suggests that, and that's obviously the most... Uh, the paragraph that the the press is going to pick up right away. There's also a lot of actual science in there about the intelligence of octopi and how they're a massively intelligent species. Um, I don't know if you want to think about that the next time you bite into some octopi sushi or whatever. Like, um, but that was just an exciting thing this week uh, that fun, came out. Fun stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, talking about songs inspired by aliens and also panspermia the particular song this week now this is an oldie win oh my gosh this is really going back yeah so this is we recorded this one in the studio i believe we recorded it at two o'clock in the morning thanksgiving weekend of 1996 
Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So long ago. So we're going way back for the recording on this one. And anyway, this is a song. It's about keeping secrets. And this particular one, we even do a shout out to 5 million years to Earth. And that's why we thought it'd be perfect for this particular episode. So here is some, we weren't even called Sunspot at the time we worked on this. We were, oh called, we were called Nevermore. So this is prehistoric. <laughs> this is prehistoric uh, music you're listening to here. Uh, it's called Bleed Me Free. Addiction. 
you for listening to today's episode you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com until next time see you on the other side hey mike yeah at the beginning of the episode we were talking about our upcoming patreon hangout we were and i can't wait for that i'm looking forward to it but mm-hmm. we really need to give a special shout out to all of our wonderful patreon supporters so thanks to each and every one of you who contributes to our patreon campaign and especially a very special member, Ned. Yes, thank you, Dr. Ned. It was good seeing you uh, yesterday at yeah. the uh, beer garden. Hop garden. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he could take the soggy and he came oh, out yeah. to party with us at the hop garden. Yes. So we appreciate that support. We appreciate the support of all of our Patreons. And we want to show you on May 30th. So if you want to join the Patreon community, come in and let's talk about weird stuff all together. Wear paranormal t-shirts and drink some wine. Yeah, and you can sign up anytime at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Those eight-legged, no backbone, ink squirting, suction cupping, suction cupping, Cthulhu-looking denizens of the deep. But for now, it's just a theory.